there is an unbelievable abundance of opportunity. And I saw so many of my friends who are unbelievable musicians, unbelievably talented musicians, starving and struggling. And I thought, there's no reason for this. Your music needs to be out there. So first off, I just want to say welcome to the podcast. And before we jump into the episode, let me tell you a little bit about myself and what you can expect. I have been in the business now for coming up on 30 years. What we're going to talk about in this podcast are things that go on in my day-to-day life, whether it be as a manager, whether it be as a consultant, whether it be as someone who is creating products that's helping musicians all over the world. If there's something going on in the industry, we're going to talk about it. If there's a strategy that needs to be taught, we're going going to talk about it. And if there's some way that I can help get you closer to your goal, then you are in the right place because that's what we are going to talk about here on the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now let's jump into the episode. Helping you navigate the music industry. Here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. So in this episode of the podcast, we are going to dive into what is a hot topic. It's one of what I feel is one of the more scammed topics in the music industry. There's a lot of people that are trying to teach you how to get your music placed in film and television. So I thought it would be best to go directly to the source. And I'm blessed to have a friend here in Nashville, Michael Elsner, who uh, runs Master Music Licensing. And Michael, first off, welcome, and thank you for uh, taking the time to chat. I appreciate it. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Well, we've had a lot of great conversations off mic at my office. We've had some great coffee meetings. We are both uh, in the digital marketing space. We both uh, adhere to a lot of the teachings of the same people. So after, you know, not only hearing of you, but then getting to talk with you and hear some of the things that you've done. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and then let's jump into this world that you are living in, making a living in, and kind of where we can help some folks get some answers to their top questions. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, uh, you know, I grew up in upstate New York and uh, I, you know, uh, fell in love with music at a young age. And so I got a guitar when I was, you know, 12 or 13. And I, that was when I set off on, on the quest to become a rock star. <laughs> and um, you know, I played in bands for a long time. I, I spent an unbelievable amount of time, you know, just sitting in, alone in my room in, you know, in, my, in, our, in our basement, learning how to play the instrument and learning how to write songs. I grew up in a very small town. We didn't even have a stoplight. Wow. And, uh, and um, uh, you know, got into, uh, got into bands when I was, um, you know, mid-teens, started playing I say clubs, they weren't clubs, they were, you know, a joke really. Um, but little tiny venues <laughs> in, in town that we could actually play and, and uh, get some experience. And, um, <clears throat> you know, my goal was just to, you know, write songs and, and get out of that town and, and play in a band. And I just really wanted to see the world and tour. And that was the dream. I, in high school, I used to draw, you know, I used to draw tour buses in my notebooks. You know? <laughs> that, was, that was the dream. And um, uh, so, you know, got into a band when I was in my late teens, and we actually did pretty well. Um, we did a couple records. Uh, we, we got offered a, a, a deal and um, had some songs on the radio and opened up for a lot of big acts as they came through town. Um, but uh, we were a big fish in a small pond. 
And what happened was, you know, we, we just had a lot of, not playing the victim by any means, it was a great experience, but we had, we had a bad manager and a bad business manager because they took advantage of us. And in hindsight, it was an incredible experience. Um, but at the same point, I didn't pay attention, nor did anyone else, to any of the business aspect of what we were doing. You know, so right. we, we were killing ourselves, you know, writing songs and making records. And when it was all said and done, we didn't own anything when it was over. And uh, so once that ended and, 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 uh, and, and was finally done, I, I moved to Nashville in 1998. And my goal was to, you know, get in with some artists down here and write songs and, and play and, uh, you know, hopefully get a publishing deal and whatnot. And I did that for, I pursued that for a number of years. And the style of music I was writing just wasn't Nashville. You know, Nashville's changed a lot since the late 90s, but I was not writing country music by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I just moved here because I heard it was Music City. It is. <laughs> you know, it's uh, I I'd never been here. <laughs> right. so, uh, so I did the same thing with Los Angeles. I'd never been to Los Angeles, but I knew that I had to go do something else. So in 2003, I moved out to L.A. And um, I was fortunate in that I landed a gig on a TV show right after I got there uh, playing guitar, and I started meeting composers. Uh, I started working for uh, some different composers, and – here I was suddenly thrown into, uh, you know, Malibu. I was up in Malibu a lot and working at these compounds. I mean, these, these guys had unbelievable estates. Right. I was enamored by this. I'd show up to their studio and, and I would watch them watch a, a big TV screen up against the wall. And I'd watch them. They were viewing these different scenes and they would just start writing to it. And, and I, then I'd play to it. And then, uh, you know, two weeks later, it was on TV. And I could call back home and be like, oh, you got to watch this show. I'm playing guitar on the show. Uh, that was fascinating to me. And so then I started meeting these people called music supervisors. Again, this so is back up for a quick second. Explain yeah. to everyone what a composer does. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was, um, so a composer, basically, they get the 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 edits, at least, at least when I was working with them, because this was a TV show. It wasn't sure. a film. Um, it was the young and the restless. It was a soap opera. Uh, so they would get the edits of the, of the scenes. Okay. And I'd show up and, you know, we'd have to do like, you know, 13 scenes in one day, you know, and he would view the scenes and he had an engineer and he would just sit back there at his keyboard and he would kind of come up with an idea of, well, musically, maybe this needs like a funk sound. So he'd kind of write a basic like funk track and then, uh, you know, 10 or 15 minutes later, he'd have the bed of it laid down and he'd say, you know, play some funk guitar in D, you know, so I'd play some funk guitar in D. I'd watch the scene and it's like, okay, we're playing here, but when, when the main character turns around, that's when you got to hit the, that's when you got to, you know, hit the diamond or you got this quarter. So, so it was fascinating to me. It was a lot of fun, but it was, it was an immediate turnaround, you know? Right. Now, granted, I was still pursuing the band thing. I was still pursuing the artist deal and whatnot. Uh, but this was a great way to, to you know, not have to work at Starbucks. Um, but I started meeting these music supervisors. Uh, uh, and so what I did is I, you know, slowly, as I became friends with them, I started saying, hey, can, you know, it, is, would it be possible if I could give you some of my songs? By then I had, you know, what I thought were, was a lot. I had about 50 songs that I fully produced, you know, during my time in Nashville. And within the first year of being in L.A., all of them got placed. Wow. And I thought, this is incredible. This is, a, this is so easy. <laughs> uh, and I can call all my buddies back home. And, and, 
you know, uh, say, hey, watch this show on Friday or hey, watch this movie. You know, uh, I'm going to be playing in it or one of my songs is in it. And for, for years, I used that as a way to make a living while I pursued the artist deal. Played and kept playing in bands, kept playing with artists, kept writing songs, was still going after it and hustling it hard. But eventually, I just got to the point where I decided when I was doing the band thing, we would spend an entire year working on 10 or 12 songs and then hustling them. But in the meantime, I could write all these different styles of music with a lot of other people who I also enjoyed being around, different types of artists, maybe a female singer-songwriter on this track, or maybe like a, a rock singer on this track, or whatever style of music it was. And then those songs would just keep getting placed on all these shows. And that's how I, I eventually just stepped back and I realized this is the way that the music industry is going. Because I started licensing 2003, 2004, uh, at that point, music supervisors were really easy to, you know, not only get in contact with, but actually go hang out with. And then in 2000, at the end of 2007, but definitely through 2008 and 2009, the entire industry turned upside down. And what do you mean by that? I mean that that's when all of the labels started realizing that we're losing money. We're leaking money like a sieve. Sure, okay. And they started realizing that what was once like a, a like a, like a, like an, uh, a, a secondary thought to them, which was licensing songs, became a focus. And suddenly, music supervisors became the new A&R people. They became the most busy individuals, people who were friends of mine, still are friends of mine, by the way, but people who I could call up and, and go have lunch with tomorrow, suddenly were just inundated with, oh. with labels and publishers and everyone under the sun trying to get them their music. And, uh, and that's when I, I realized that that's the future of the industry. You that's know. not me making those sounds. That's my dog rolling around on the carpet. Having I, I totally that. understand. I, I love, I love it. awesome. <laughs> Everybody listening to this podcast is going to go, wow, Rick's just making these weird, obnoxious noises. <laughs> and his name is Bo. Humbo. That's awesome. He's down there having fun. So now all of a sudden, you know, people are wanting to get their songs on Grey's Anatomy. They're wanting yeah. to get their songs on Sons of Anarchy. They're yeah. wanting to get their songs on everything. And now let's fast forward. Now there's Amazon. And now there's Netflix and now there's Hulu and there's oh, yeah. all these different outlets where people can get songs placed. And now all of a sudden people are coming out of the woodworks, charging folks to get their music to these quote unquote music supervisors. Sure. And you started realizing that, wait a minute, I can maybe teach what it is that I do and help other people. Sure. Yeah. Let's take a couple steps back because, um, uh, so, I started getting asked to speak at music conferences, okay. right? And um, <clears throat> and and I would I would sit and I'd watch the people before me, and and a lot of times, like when I would go on, I, it would be a little later on in the uh, in the uh, in the day, <laughs> and people have been sitting there for a couple hours. And you know, anytime you get up in front of a couple hundred people, now this wasn't obviously a career a that I pursued. Right. I never envisioned myself being a composer. Uh, and then on top of it, speaking publicly, I was always the guitar player in a band because I did not want to be the, the front guy. So when I first started getting asked to speak at these conferences, yeah, that, that's an honor. So I, of course I said yes, but then I'd sit there and I'd think, oh my gosh, how am I going to win over three or 400 people? And I remember the very first, con uh, uh, um, um, very first one I spoke at, uh, I got up there and, and I realized that, you know, these people are falling asleep. They've been listening to this stuff for for hours, you know, and and I said, you know, here's the thing. 
when you wake up at five o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, you have that great idea, you, you, you know, you lay it down, you know, okay, what are you going to do when you wake up at nine o'clock in the morning? Or what are you going to do at 10 o'clock? Because see, I saw so many of my friends struggling as artists and struggling as musicians. And I was fortunate, I struggled in my younger years, but once I got into licensing, that ended very quickly. And, um, and so, uh, so I was always telling my friends, you, you gotta, you gotta license your songs. You gotta get your songs placed. And, and, um, and I remember one time I said at one of these conferences, I said, it was the very first one, I said, I said, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning, when you wake up, what are you going to do with that song that you wrote? What are you going to do with that song you wrote at four in the morning? I want to tell you over the next hour how to deposit it in your bank account. Because it's true. It's exactly what it is. And I, and I just got this immediate response. And I realized that, you know, uh, after giving that, that, that presentation, I got inundated with emails. And it was, it was an unbelievably fulfilling experience for me to start sharing the, the information. Because like what you said earlier with Netflix and all this other stuff, there's an abundance of opportunity. Currently, there's over 500 TV shows in production. And, you know, um, people talk about like, oh, the golden age of TV. Well, the golden age of TV is now. Right. The golden age of television is now. There's never been so many productions ever in the history of music. I'm sorry, in the history of television which means that if we're in the golden age of television, we're also in the golden age of music licensing, okay? Uh, all of that content that's being produced, not only the TV shows, but also the commercials, also the films, the documentaries, the video game world is its own massive world in and of itself. I'm not a gamer, but I learned the video game world when I started my trailer music company. And, uh, and that is an unbelievable world. On top of that, you have video game trailers and film trailers. There is an unbelievable abundance of opportunity. And I saw so many of my friends who are unbelievable musicians, unbelievably talented musicians, starving and struggling. And I thought, there's no reason for this. Your music needs to be out there. So I started showing my process. Wow. And it just kind of has naturally grown uh, uh, from, from that to, you know, I, at the core of who I am, I'm just a... I'm just a dumb guitar player who loves playing in bands and loves being on stage. Well, I don't know that I'd go that far because you're also one of those guys that people send their guitar tracks to and say, fix this. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of being time. Very learning, humble. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't go to business school, I guess I should say. Like, I didn't go to music business school. I'm just, yeah, I didn't even go to music school. Uh, I, just, I just learned by doing this. But I, my goal when I started off was I wanted to, get, I wanted to write songs that people would hear. So I totally understand, you know, all my buddies who are also on the same path, you know, moving to Nashville or moving out to Los Angeles and giving up their life to pursue this dream. And, 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 uh, and I, I believe that everyone needs to have their music heard. You know, if you're, if you're pursuing this, you, you need to get your music out there. But here's the thing that I've, that I've learned with this is that, um, and having spoken at many conferences and at many panels and whatnot, uh, a lot of people spend a lot of money to go uh, to these conferences for a, you know, 45 minute or one hour uh, panel on music licensing. And the reality is all you're doing is you're learning more about what it is. So right. music licensing has become a, become a term that musicians throw around. Oh, I get into music licensing. I, I'm writing music for sync. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. How are you actually doing it? Because there is actually a strategy and a path to get your music placed. And it's not writing songs and then just throwing it out there and hoping that someone hears it. That's like playing the musical lottery. And if right. you do that, you're going to continue to starve. You said something to me one time. You said you right now are making more money with pieces of oh, songs yeah. that you've written yeah. than full songs. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So explain, yeah. explain that a little bit, and then let's talk about the Super Bowl commercial, which is a perfect example. Oh yeah, of a piece of music that you've written, and people think that I have to get my whole entire song. They need to be able to play all my lyrics, and they need to play my guitar riff. You go completely opposite. You have broken this thing down into us. So I'll tell you a story because you because you bring it up and then I'll I'll lead into your question. Um, when I was when I moved to Nashville, I'm sorry. When I moved to Los Angeles, shortly before I moved to to Los Angeles, probably like two or three weeks prior to moving to LA from Nashville, uh, I had written this particular track uh, and and I loved it. I loved this song. I, the verses were great. The chorus was huge and the the girl that I got to come in to sing it just did an unbelievable job and every every time I listened to it I'd get chills just one of those magical tracks that you write and I remember going up to New York and meeting with some publishers up in New York City and playing them this track you know but I never had a bridge for it and this is the funny aspect of the song I never had a bridge for it um so about two or three weeks prior to to moving out of uh, Nashville last time I was going to sing her because I was obviously leaving town. I called her over because I needed to have her at least put a bridge on it so we could finish it. Right. But I could never write a bridge for it. It just, just could never get it right. I had the full track done, but I could never get this bridge. So finally I just decided to bite the bullet. I'm just going to write some lyrics. We're just going to get it done just so it's done because what's going to sell it is the chorus, not the bridge. So she came over, you know, a half hour, hour before she came over, I wrote the dumbest lyrics imaginable. Uh, and I came up with this melody and uh, she came over, she sang it, she sang it great, but it was in this range that we couldn't even get her voice to harmonize it. It was too high. So suddenly, you know, to, to build this up, I, I sang, I sang a lower harmony in the bridge. It just comes out of nowhere. It's just this, it's just this weird spot in the song that just doesn't belong. It's just, it, it just doesn't belong there. Uh, and it was, uh, I got out to LA and I think within the first year, year and a half, that song got a featured placement on a pretty popular show at the time. And I was so excited. Oh, this is going to be amazing. So I watched the show and I kept watching the show and I kept watching the show and they still didn't use my song. And it was literally getting down to the last, you know, minute, minute and a half in, in, in the show. And the storyline of the show is that this, this guy comes, comes into town, you know, the main characters break up. Um, the guy who comes into town steals the girl is kind of a scumbag. Uh, the girl realizes it at the end, gets back together with her previous boyfriend <laughs> They're st standing on the beach and she says, you know, I'm so thankful that I have you. And he goes, well, you always know where to find me. And the, the, the bridge lyrics that I had written were, I'm so glad you found me. I'm lost in your love. When you surround me, I can't get enough. <laughs> yeah, like just dumb lyrics. Oh, right? Hallmark card. Exactly. So, and then it fades to the two of them on the beach, you know, in the sunset in a silhouette. Right. And, and I hear the track come in and I thought, oh no, they're playing the bridge. Because I, I could hear it leading into the bridge. And then it, it, was, it was the most amazing realization. Because when I watched that song to that scene, it fit perfectly. Now, you never actually even hear the chorus. Because it fades out over the... Over the um, Part that you were most proud of. Exactly. It fades out over the credits and stuff like that. So you never hear that chorus. And I realized at that time that every part of a song can find a home. That wow. was a huge realization for me. So moving forward, as, as I got into, uh, in the last, since 2011, I got into writing movie trailers. Uh, and I started a company called Sonic Trimmer. And we do a lot of movie trailers and film trailers now. And, uh, and what we did is we really needed to um, distinguish ourselves to make our company different 
than some of the other companies that were out there. So we started doing, we started along with our big productions and our big, you know, songs, um, we started breaking the songs down into elements. And this whole idea comes from that example that I just right. did. So what we do is we break down the songs into elements. And of course, over the years, I've had little tiny placements, like little, you know, uh, four second, 10 second, you know, sections of songs. And so I just learned that these little elements have a space, have a place in, in licensing. So what I do is, is with every song now, uh, the second step of my four-step process, I call it creating valuable content. And it's where I break the full mix down into as many different either alternate mixes or cut-down mixes that I possibly can. And this is a great way, for example, let's say if you only have 10 songs, this is a great way to turn your catalog into a catalog of 70 songs or 100. And I don't even call them songs. They're pieces of licensable content. And, uh, and, and here's the thing that's interesting about that those get more licenses than the full songs and every license pays an upfront sync fee and a back-end royalty so by doing like songs that are on the radio where you have to wait months or sometimes years to get paid you're getting paid on the front end and on the back end absolutely and it's very easy to do it'll take you know an extra you know 10 20 minutes at the final you know, at your mix down process. And it doesn't even matter if you're mixing your record or not. If you're an artist and you're hiring a mix engineer, uh, you know, when they're burning you the final versions of your tracks, just go sit with them and have them burn a bunch of uh, extra, you know, uh, pieces of what I call valuable content. Because uh, that is the stuff that's going to not only pay your mortgage, but that's the stuff that's going to pay your house off. Right. And the big, and the the, the, the song placements are great, but I, I, I give this example because it's a great example. Uh, I wrote a song with a particular country artist and um, we've had in the last two seasons of the voice, we've had 14 placements on the voice. Now out of those 14 placements of that one song, that song has generated over 38 placements so far. Wow. But out of those 14 placements on the voice, only six of them have been the, the full mix. Interesting. So when so you say have- placement on the voice, these are the songs leading up to them coming out and singing their songs or Sure, sure. Or the transitional pieces, okay. or, or the pieces that that sit underneath them when they're standing in front of the front of the um, the uh, the judges or whatnot. So people should really sit down and start dissecting these television shows and seeing all these different places where there's some form of music in the background, and those are all those could be 15 different artists had 15 different pieces of their songs or placements in one particular episode. Much more than that. Uh, wow. I get the cue sheets. For I say wow a lot in this episode. This is like my wow episode. I'm well, I get the cue sheets for every single TV show that I've had my music in. I've had right. my music in over 650 TV shows. So I know this <laughs> very well because I'm also extremely analytical, as, as you know, since yes. we've hung out. Yes. Um, I, I analyze things uh, to a large extent. And when I was starting off and I was first getting my licenses happening, um, I would look at every single cue sheet because I wanted to see who the publishers were because I didn't have a publishing deal at the time. I wanted to see who the publishers were that were getting the placements because logically, if I wanted to have a career in this, that's who I needed to hook up with, right? So I started this process of analyzing every single um, cue that gets placed on TV shows that I get my song placements on. And I still look at them. What's wild now is I see a lot of my friends on them and I'll send text messages to my buddies being like, Hey man, we're just checking out this particular show. You and I have some music on it, you know? And, 
Um, and those guys don't even look at their cue sheets. But cue sheets will have you know upwards of 80 to 120 pieces of music. So you said just a couple pieces. No, there is music that's constantly in those TV shows. Music never stops. In fact, what's interesting is if you watch some movies, sometimes the only way that they really now get a lot of tension happening is when they don't have any music. And you notice it because it's silent. Uh, but when you watch TV, and I'll just pick it up. I'm a fan of, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of like home improvement shows, you know, cause I just, I like that stuff. So, you know, like if you're watching a show, even though it's, it's no longer being made, but if you should look at, watch a show on HGTV, such as, um, 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 Fixer Upper, you know, with the, the, the couple in um, Texas or any particular show, you can pick whatever show you want. Um, but I like that one. Uh, if you watch that show, spend, spend a day, watch it, bring it up on, 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 on YouTube or bring it up on net, whatever you can watch it on HGTV if you can and sit on your sofa and close your eyes and don't watch it. Just listen to it. There is music nonstop from the intro to the outro the entire time. And someone has to write all that music and there's not a composer on that show. That's, that's all licensed music nonstop. So where, where is it? Let's start talking about now what people listening to this who go, Holy crap, I've got tons of songs. I've got tons of pieces. What would be your first bit of advice to them as far as should they go back in and reopen those files and start creating these pieces or what is it that you teach? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I have a four step process and, and it's weird to say like, what do you teach? Because to, to me, I always think it's really funny because I didn't set out to do any of this. A lot of this just came from explaining to my friends over the years, like, here's what you do. And this is what you do next. And this is what you do. And I just realized that it's, I just follow a four step process. And the first step in my process, I just call it build your catalog. And what I mean by build your catalog is just write the music you love writing. You know, if you want to come into your studio and write a heavy metal piece, write a heavy metal piece, have fun doing it. There will be a, there will be a home for it. Trust me. And if the next day you want to come in and you want to write an acapella piece, then write an acapella piece. And if the next day you want to come in and write some eighties Prince ripoff piece or Michael Jackson funk a la thriller, you know, piece, do it. You know, the, the one thing that's amazing about this career is that, um, you know, when I was pursuing the, the artist route with the various bands I was in, I was always in rock bands. So we always wrote songs that were very, uh, very, very one dimensional stylistically. We wrote rock songs. So our albums did not, our albums were not diverse by any stretch of the imagination. Um, no one's going to sign a band that's, that's, you know, too diverse. Right. So, right. Uh, so we were very strategic and all the music we wrote was very streamlined. This is our style. Um, but when I come into my studio and I write music, I've written everything from bluegrass to country to avant-garde to progressive to heavy metal to acapella to orchestral, um, you, you name it. And, you know, and, and, and um, you know, all that stuff's available. If people want to, you know, hear a lot of that stuff. You can go to my website or, or the Sonic Trimmer website and you can hear it. It's, it's all up there and you can see where the placements are and, and whatnot. So um, um, that's one of the things that's great about the first step is building your catalog is, is write the music that you're passionate about. Because as musicians, you know, when you write music that you're passionate about, that translates. Uh, and it translates even more when you sync it to picture, right? Mm. Uh, so, so first step is write your catalog, just have fun, write the music you're passionate about. It will find a home. Believe me. 
The second step is to do what I call create valuable content. And that's where you create all your multiple mixes. All right. Um, so, so really I would say I would start there, uh, you know, depending on where someone's at, for example, this one particular artist, um, who, who, who's a great example. She did a four song EP, four songs, her catalog is four songs, but all of the valuable ca uh, content, the step two aspect of this process has allowed her along with steps three and four, obviously has allowed her four songs to generate over 52 placements and counting. Wow. So what is step three? Step three is to master metadata. Uh, this is... That's another term that's thrown around a lot. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. There's a lot of terms that are thrown around. And the reality is, is uh, uh, you know, and I don't mean this disrespectfully by any means, but, but the reality is most people have no idea what they're talking about. Right. Uh, because it comes back to every step of the process adds value not to you. It ultimately will add value to you. It'll, it'll bring it to you in, in, in the end game because the end game is that you're going you're gonna to get your songs placed and you're going to make some nice upfront fees and you're going to make some nice back-end royalties, all right? But that's not the goal. Every step of this process brings value to your end user and your end user is your music supervisor, your music editor, potentially your music library if you decide to go down that road, uh, but ultimately, even one step beyond those people, it's to the director and to the producer, All right? You have to keep that in mind. Uh, you know, as, as artists, it's very easy to only look at yourself. You right. know, that's what you focus on. You're focused on right. your music and you getting on stage and whatnot. But the reality is that no matter what you're doing in music, you're bringing value to your end user. When Justin Timberlake goes and sells out an arena, He's bringing value to the 20,000 people that are showing up there, right? right? He's a service to them. He's on, the one, he's on stage and he's in lights and he's the ones that everyone's screaming at, right? But he's a service to them. That's important to remember because when it comes to writing music for licensing, you are a service to your end users. So you want so, to make it as easy as possible for you your end users exactly. to find so, what it is that they're looking for. They don't want to just... They don't want to listen to a bunch of music. They want to type in some words and have the music appear because it was properly put in. The metadata was properly put in. They're not going to listen to the music. Wow. <laughs> so believe me, with how busy they are, they're not going to listen to the music. They're going to put it in. They're going to listen to the music they want to listen to, just like anyone else, right? Yeah. Any, anyone who works in music, you know, they, they're not going to listen to music. They're going to listen to the music that they want to listen to or that inspires them even though their job is to do music related right. stuff. But the metadata is what makes your music searchable. And so for me, my approach to metadata is to make it bulletproof. This is a great word. I, I heard this years ago from a buddy of mine who was um, at A&R over at Universal. He was actually a good friend of mine out in Los Angeles. And he would say this all the time. He'd say, like, you got to make it bulletproof. And I was back, of course, when I was doing my band thing and we were, you know, meeting with labels and meeting with A&R people and whatnot. Um, and he'd always say the word bulletproof. And so I, I just have adopted that word and it becomes a part of my everyday vocabulary when it comes to metadata. It's got to be bulletproof. And you have to look at it like a funnel, okay? Uh, you have to keep in mind these individuals have access to not 10,000 songs, not 50,000 songs, hundreds of thousands of songs, hundreds of thousands of songs. So, and you got to look at it like a funnel, right? 
they want to funnel it down to maybe 10 songs that they can choose and, and, and really audition rather quickly for the scene. So what they're going to, let me just give you an example here. Let's say that the scene is a bunch of girls in a convertible and they're driving down a highway, like along the beach. So we're out in California, they're on the PCH. They're driving to the beach. They're, they're, in, a, they're in a convertible, so their hair's flowing and they're happy and whatever's going on, right? So what kind of music do we need for that scene? Well, we need something that's happy. We need something that's beachy. We need something that's youthful. We might think of something that's like even like, like really beachy, surfy, like maybe Hawaiian and ukulele, right? So you can think of these different words. So um, what, is, what is the person who's searching for that music going to type in? They're going to type in beach, youthful, maybe because it's a bunch of girls in a, in a convertible, maybe they're going to type in female. Maybe they're going to type in words like bikini, surfing, beach. And then that puts, that makes you think of, you know, Hawaii. So right. what's Hawaiian? Well, Hawaiian music. So ukulele, maybe what goes with ukulele? Glockenspiel. Right, so they'll type in those words. A word that will probably only ever be heard on this podcast from you, by the way. Glockenspiel. <laughs> and here's the, here's the thing. That's brilliant because they want a song with a glockenspiel in it. So you know what your metadata has to say? Glockenspiel. Glockenspiel. And, <laughs> you and might have to look it up to learn how to spell it, but that's yeah. what you want. You told me something that you can easily just go in, load your music up on your computer, go into iTunes, and you can start entering your stuff there. You can. Now, iTunes, here's, here's the way. Yes, you absolutely can. Now, you have to keep in mind here that iTunes is like GarageBand. Okay. It's somewhat limited, right? You can't compare okay. GarageBand to, say, Pro Tools, right? Correct. Uh, GarageBand will let you do the basics and get the ball rolling by all means. But, uh, but iTunes allows a certain amount of fields for metadata, but those fields are not endless. So almost like Twitter, uh, Twitter has like 128 characters or something like that. It's up, it's up higher. It's in the two, 288 now. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I get your example. It's limited yes. on the amount of characters that you can Yes. Put. So you could go into I, to iTunes and, and you can start inputting your metadata, but you're limited, you know, where, so it's not uncommon for my metadata to consist of 60 or 70. So where do they put that in? Where are they allowed to place that? So I would put that in under the comments section. Okay. Um, so let me just give you an example of, of the difference here. When I input metadata into my, my, uh, into my tracks, it, it consists of 25 or 26, I think it's 25 different, um, if you were looking at a spreadsheet, we would call them columns. I can't think of the word right now that I, I um, but think of columns. Like think of looking at a spreadsheet you're going to have 25 different columns. Uh, iTunes is much like that. You know, you can open up the, the preferences in iTunes and you can say like, you know, like the view, you know, show me the comments, show me the composer, show me the, the track duration, show me, you know, you can, you can input all that stuff. Um, but if you go to a file in iTunes, okay, and I'm speaking if you have a Mac, because I don't have a PC, but if you have a Mac, you can hit Command I on any song and it's going to open up an information field. Oh, wow. Okay? Right. Um, so if you're if you're watching this or listening to this, do that now. Just open up anything. Doesn't matter what you have on your on your on your iTunes. Just go just click on one song so it's highlighted. Hit Command I. You'll get a box that will show up. That's 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 where you can start inputting all your metadata. And 
really the biggest box that you can input your keywords or description or anything like that is the comments section. Okay. So, uh, so that's where you would do that, but you have to keep in mind, um, you know, you also want to include, you know, the contact information, you know, um, I do all, I do input all the basics through iTunes. I still do that. Okay. Uh, and that's if I'm sending it directly to a music supervisor, but that when he gets the song, he can hit command I and it shows, uh, it'll, it'll automatically show up in their, in their iTunes. And oh, whenever wow. they search something, it will automatically, they don't have to command I, it oh, doesn't wow. have, even have to be vi visible because that's actual data that's now attached to the audio file. Here's a very important thing to keep in mind. Uh, Wave files, okay? And I don't know how experienced some of your listeners are when it comes to audio Google files. search wave files. Yeah, Google. Go to Mr. Google. Professor Google will help you. So there, there, are, there are three main types of files. You have a .wav. You have a .aif or .aiff. They're the same. And then you have a .mp3. Now, we all know MP3s are garbage. You don't yeah, want right. to send in an MP3. <laughs> um, uh, if, if they require, if they ask for it, believe me, it's only to audition, you know, uh, but you do not want to send in ever an MP3. Um, you also don't want to send in a WAV file unless it's been asked for, unless it's specifically been asked, only send in WAV files. Because I never send in a WAV file unless yeah, it's because of the size. Asked. Yeah. No, meta, no, WAV files do not contain metadata. They don't. Really? Allow me, yeah. And here's another example for your listeners to to try. Go to your iTunes, uh, and if, if you're if you're familiar with how to do this, you can go to properties. You can you can uh, you can select what type of you know how how to convert. You know, usually you convert to an MP3, but you can convert to an AIFF and you can convert to a WAV. And so a great way to, to do this is take one song. It doesn't matter if it's your song or uh, you know a Foo Fighter song. It doesn't matter. Um, convert it to a WAV file and then convert it to an AIFF file. All right. Once you do that, open up the information box, command I for both and type in whatever you want. Doesn't matter. Just go to the comment section or whatever and just start typing in. Hello, my name is Mike. I'm just going to try testing out the uh, metadata on, the, right. you know, and then do the same thing for the AIFF file. Just type in whatever you want to do. Uh, then when you're done, grab both of those files and pull them out of iTunes, just like you were going to email them to a friend. Okay. Pull them out of your iTunes, then delete them from your iTunes because you don't want to have it. Again, you want to keep in mind that you're approaching this now, like if you're sending it to someone and they didn't have this already in their iTunes. So pull it out, delete it, get rid of it, have it on your desktop. Once you've deleted it out of your iTunes, drop both of them back in and then go look at the metadata that shows up on both. And the WAV file will only have the title. Wow. All right, so there the we go. file will have everything else. Now, the, so only way you can attach, the only way that you can attach metadata to a WAV file is through third-party plugins, and that becomes a whole other... Right. Metadata. Yeah, so, this rabbit hole's gone pretty far anyway. So let's talk about step number four, and then let's talk about how people can connect with you. And sure. I know you've got uh, a, a free ebook that that we can send them. So step number four in the four-step process is... Step number four is getting your music heard. <laughs> now, that's like step number one. It sounds logical, right? Like step number one is build your catalog. Well, duh. Right. <laughs> right? But there's a lot more that goes into building your catalog than you think. Uh, and again, we have to think of the in value. So step number four is getting your music heard. Now, let me give you an example. 
of, uh, of the common approach, and this is the mistake that most musicians make. Um, and then, uh, then I'll tell you a, a story about this, which is kind of funny. But most musicians um, inadvertently um, make the mistake of the, here's my song, listen to it. You know, here's my song, use it approach. And that's like me saying, that's like me calling you up, you know, and saying like, hi, my name is Mike. I know, you know, we don't know each other too well, but I know that you live by, a, by that really nice new steakhouse in town and um, uh, would love to go out and uh, have you buy me dinner. Uh, right now, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm a great conversationalist. So, you know, you're going to have to pick up the tab. <laughs> now, if you had emailed me from me that said that, <laughs> you think I'm crazy? And you right. delete it because, right. because I brought zero value to this interaction. I don't, not only that, but I didn't ask you anything about you. I didn't, I didn't know anything about what you're doing, right? I just want you to buy me a nice steak dinner and it happens to be close to your house. That's the way that most musicians approach getting their music heard. Here's my new album. It's been, it was recorded by this producer and this engineer at this amazing studio. Who gives a crap? Right, right. Okay, so the approach is all about the value. So step number four is really all about research. Now, this is the funny thing. Uh, this is the one that I get the most pushback from when I start talking to my musician friends about this process. Right. Uh, uh, the metadata aspect is the most boring because it's, it's really you know, administrative, but metadata takes no more than 10 or 15 minutes per song. And the difference between that is its success or failure. Now, when it comes to step four, this is the fun one. And this is the one now, I, a little backstory on me is I grew up painfully shy, painfully shy, okay? So even when I left New York and I left and came to, to Nashville, I remember my mom saying to me, Michael, do you really think that you can do this? Because, you know, to, to be successful in the music industry, you have to get out and, you know, socialize. And, you know, you're, you're a really quiet kid. And it's true. Now, now this one to me is, is actually a lot of fun because this is where the magic happens. Uh, and this is where the relationships are built. And this is where the long-term success comes from. And it all comes down to providing value to your end user. Now, think as far down the lit line as you can. Think of your producer and your director and then work back from there. What's going to be the most valuable thing I can do for them? What's going to be the most valuable thing I can do for a music supervisor? Uh, uh, and so it's one word, it's research. So for example, if you're watching a TV show, and this is just a great example, uh, the last couple of years has been a TV show called Superstore on NBC. Right. And, uh, and I use this example because I'm actually friends with, the, with both the composer and the score producer, but there's a music supervisor on that show as well. So if you are watch that show and you hear songs that are very much in the style of what you write, the reality is that your songs need to be on that show. Would you agree? Right? Makes sense. If I write music in the style of John Mayer and they're playing a lot of John Mayer and Ed Sheeran, then my songs should be on that show as well. Right? Yep. How do we do that? Well, we have to A, start off by finding out who the music supervisor is. Um, that's very easy to do. You can do that in less than one minute. Uh, but then beyond that, it's all in the approach. Okay, so instead of sending an email, which creative Googling, you can find all this information. Instead of sending an email to, to this guy 
his name's Gabe, by the way, uh, that says, hi, uh, I have a new record. These songs sound like John Mayer, which means nothing to that guy. Uh, the approach is more about bringing the value. Hey, Gabe, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of Superstore. I've noticed over the last you know, season that you use a lot of singer-songwriter, male singer-songwriter songs along the, along the lines of John Mayer and Ed Sheeran, et cetera, blah, 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 whoever else he's using. Uh, I have a, a, a bunch of songs in my catalog that are very much along those lines. Um, you send a link. You can send a link to SoundCloud. You don't send them in the email. But on top of that, you say, uh, you know, I own all the master and sync rights. This more or less goes into the publishing and, and more of the business side of it. But, you know, I own, I own the master and sync rights to these tracks. And that's because anytime a song is licensed, a master license and a sync license have to be negotiated. If you own both, that makes it very easy and quick on their end. On top of that, uh, uh, all, all my tracks are fully metadata and searchable. So, so my songs could be licensed in, a, in, in one email and in under five minutes. You know, just you're... This is a very short synopsis of what that. No, means. but I get what you're saying. You're making their job easy. You're yeah, letting so them know that saying, they like it's, it. It's, it's making him read this and go, "Great! All I need to have that do do is send him, send me the the full resolution or download link to the full resolution files. I'm going to pull those files into my into his vast catalog, whatever he's using, yeah. whether it be iTunes or Soundminer or whatever program he's using to house his catalog." And he's going to pull those in, and, and when he's doing another search for another song, instead of paying 80 grand to you know, John Mayer and you know, 75 grand to Ed Sheeran for a license, he knows that he might be able to license one of your songs very quickly for three or $5,000. Right. Now, you got to keep in mind that these people have a budget. So you might only hear one or two major songs in a TV show, but you're going to hear five, ten other independent artists' songs because they're going to pay John Mayer 80 grand or 100 grand for his song. Right. But then they're going to pay, you know, little Tommy down the street two grand for his song and Jimmy, you know, three states over, you know, $3,500 for his song because, you know, the placements are going to be different. The, the, the length that he's, you know, using, you might use two minutes of one guy's song and 30 minutes of another guy's song. Um, now, of course, that's going to you know dictate the 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 fees that you're going to get on on the upfront licenses. But what you've done is you've created value, and the whole point of the four step process is you create value every step along the way. You create value in the first step because you're creating music that you're passionate about, and passionate music translates emotional music translates when you sing it to picture. The second step. Uh, um, that's one thing I, I forgot when, in, in the email, you, you mentioned all the other versions and the, you know, multiple, right. et cetera. Uh, and that makes it very easy for an editor to edit something. Let's say he, you know, if there's a section where the people are talking, he doesn't want uh, a track with, with that, with, with vocals. He can take, he can take the instrumental track or maybe the stripped down version under, under the dialogue. And then once the dialogue ends, he can fade it into the full version. This just gives them unbelievable options um so you create immense value for your end user using the second step creating valuable content obviously you're creating immense value for your end user by by mastering metadata and allowing the song to be easily searchable and then you're creating immense amount of value in the way that you reach out to him to let them know that you actually have your stuff together and you know what you're doing and that is and you're and you're there as a service to right him. 
Well, and I also think too that just doing that four-step process alone can set you apart from a lot of other folks because you come across as professional, someone who understands the business, someone who's easy to work with, someone who has taken, provided a courtesy to them, respecting their time, respecting how long it takes to clear a song with five writers and five different publishers and things like that. You've made their job easy because... I also know music supervisors who sometimes are in a time crunch and they just don't have the time. It's like last minute they say, find me this for this. And if they can just go into a computer and everything's been done for them because you as the artist took the time to understand this new business and Mm -hmm. this new revenue stream that you're involved with makes all the difference in the world. You're a service first and foremost. And, um, you know, think of it like this. If, if, if you want to go buy a new tire for your car, you go to a tire shop and you drop your car off, right? And then when you go and you pick up your car, the tire is already on your car. It's balanced. It's all the screws have been you know, tightened. Yeah, right. They don't give you a tire and then just pull your, pull your wheel off and take your old tire off and then hand you, you know, your, your, your wheel and then the actual tire and say, yeah, put it, put it together. That's the approach that most musicians take when it comes to delivering their music to music supervisors, they expect them to do the job. Well, they'll listen to it. They'll categorize it. They'll, they'll put all the information in there that they think that they need. No, that's like, that's like installing your own tire on your own rim. I love that example. But it's true. And that's the reason why, you know, it's funny um, because I'll I'll go off and I go downtown. I live, I, I live in Nashville now. I moved back. I just wanted to get out of the LA traffic. Um, but I moved back to Nashville and, and I go downtown and, and I'll, I'll hang out at a, at a club or a songwriter's night. And, you know, people don't know who I am and that, that's fine. That's, that's great. I'll talk to someone and I'll talk to a songwriter. So what do you do? Oh, yeah, I write songs. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So uh, you have a publishing deal? No, no, no. I, you know, I, I write, write for a lot of sync. I write sync. Okay. So these people obviously have no idea what I'm, what I do. So I, so I, I ask further, you know, and oh, what, I, what I learned <laughs> is, is a lot of them, it's a word that they throw around because it's a cool word right now. Right. But so I start going, who's licensing your music? Well, you know, I haven't gotten any placements yet. And I start learning, these people are very talented, very talented songwriters, very talented musicians. And the only problem is, is that they just haven't learned the process. And there are in over the years as I've been a musician, I've learned, I've watched a lot of my friends become very successful. And I've watched a lot of my friends walk away and go back to their hometown and just get defeated for no reason other than the fact that they didn't learn how to be a valuable service to their end user. Right. And it's very, very simple. I always say that music licensing is very easy because it really is. And all you're doing is you're making it bulletproof for your end users. That's all you're doing. Very wow. simple. So where can people grab a copy of this ebook? Uh, sure. Well, <clears throat> you can go to the, um, I, I have a website called mastermusiclicensing.com. Okay. And, uh, and you can go there and you can, you can get the ebook, you know, you can just, uh, right when you get to the homepage, uh, you can, you can download, it's free. And I want to, I want to 
give a quick little backstory on this and, and why, why this is, because I, I know this has come up a number of times. And the question that's come up a number of times is like, so why do you do this? You know, if, if you're doing so well at this, why do you do it? Of course, there's always going to be that question. And, um, and there's a book that I read to, uh, last year called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Yep, I know and, the book very well. And, uh, and I've never read a life-changing book until then. Wow. And, uh, and it started because I, a, bit, a buddy of mine sent me, just randomly through text, sent me a YouTube link to Simon's uh, TED Talk. And I, and I encourage everyone to look this up. Uh, um, but I, I, I watched the TED Talk and it made me think. And so then what I did is I went and I bought his book and I read his book. I, I read it three times in about a month. Absolutely changed my life. And, um, and, and the, the whole point of his book is he, he gets you to ask why. You know, so start with why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And at this point in my life, I had tur- just turned 40. And I had, wa- I had walked away from the artist pursuit. You know, and, and, uh, and after you know, t- more than 20 years pursuing the artist path and whatnot, you know, I was kind of in this weird limbo. Um, and, uh, and I really started thinking, what, what do I enjoy? you know, why am I still doing this? Why am I still writing music? And, you know, the simple answer is, you know, I love, I love writing music. I, you know, I I love being able to afford the lifestyle that I have because of it. Um, But why am I still down this road? What, what is next on on the horizon for me? And when I read the book, I really thought about that and I decided I was going to take his advice and I was going to sit and I was going to write out my why. And I sat at a, at a coffee shop for about four or five hours and I just wrote, I had to figure out what this next phase of my life was going to be. And I realized that over the last number of years, the most satisfying thing for me has been to sit down with young artists who I would meet at songwriter nights or just out and about. And, and, uh, and I wanted to get together with them and I wanted to figure out what they wanted to do and show them how to get there. Cause I know licensing, I know it really well. And I know that, that there's a very easy path to success with music. And so I wrote out my why and my why basically became because I wanted to help others pursue what they're passionate about. I know the pursuit of being a musician. I I dedicated my life to it and, and uh, I want to help other people succeed in it. So that's why I ended up writing the book. And that's why the book, the book is free Um, because you're not my competition. There's so much music out there. There's so much opportunity for music licensing out there uh, that you need to get your music heard. You can't write it all. You can't, you can't fulfill every placement that's being placed every day, that every, everything that needs every day, you can't do it on your own. It's like I explained to people, my book for me was The Millionaire Messenger. Make yeah. a difference and make a living sharing your knowledge and experience with others. Yeah. And I love what you said. You're not in competition. This is a world of collaboration right now. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, you can find the next hotshot little writer, put him in your company, and changes life. And you can, it's like I said something the other day. I said, in my position, I can change the world with the music that I can get to them. And I didn't write any of it. Because if I can teach musicians how to get their music to the world, I play a part in that. That's what my part is. And it's so funny because a lot of people are always like, well, what's the catch? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The catch is, is that you give away your ebook to provide value so that when you offer your full program, people go, you know what? That book alone that I got for free changed my life. 
holy crap, I can only imagine sure. what's in this program. And yeah. that's why I put out as much content every day that I do. Yeah. And that's why I give away my book. People yeah. don't understand, you know, if, if, if you can invest in yourself to save time, pain, money, mm-hmm. isn't that a good investment? Absolutely, yeah. it's a good investment. It's fantastic. And it also comes back around. Oh, you know, I like and, that. And I have, I, I, I will get calls because uh, I'm busy. I'll get calls to do something. You know, uh, hey, we need, we need a track in the style of Adele and we need it by five o'clock. All right, I, I'm, already, I'm already booked today. But I have a buddy of mine out in LA who that would be perfect for. And I call him. I go, hey man, um, if, if, if you're free today, this is who you need to send an email to. I'll, I'll, I'll call them back. I'll let, the, let them know that, that you'll be sending them something. This is what they need. And then, then they take it. And you know what happens is three or four weeks go by and that guy's busy and he gets a call from something else and he goes, I can't do it, but Mike is out in, in Nashville. Let me, let me give him a buzz or, or whatever. You know, I had a buddy of mine who's actually the guitar player for Carrie Underwood now. His name is Matt Revere. And he's actually, I, I interview him in my course, in the bonus section of my course. And um, getting back to your question about uh, num- uh, step number four, Matt is an incredible musician. Right? You, don't, you don't get that gig right. <laughs> if you're a hack, right? That's right. My he buddy gets, Chad Jeffers is the utility player for Gary. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I know the gig, yep. Great players. Uh, and, and Matt happens to be my neighbor. He lives lives right down the street. He'll stop by when I'm out in my garage sometimes working and whatnot. So we become good friends. And, um, but um, he was having a hard time last year uh, with his library. He was, he was writing a lot of stuff and he was sending it out to these different libraries and he was just having a hard time getting a response. And so I said, well, come over. Your stuff's amazing. Come over. So he brought it over and he brought his computer over. And I looked at what he had done like in his approach and he, his approach just wasn't it just wasn't refined, you know, in, in, in the course, I talk about the bulletproof six step approach and right. uh, that will literally work 99% of the time. It will work wow. 99% of the time, but he came over and I took him through. I said, what you wrote is, is really nice, but we got to get rid of it. So we started from scratch. We wrote a whole new simple email that was probably about a third as long as what he had written. We hit the bullet points. We created value with every sentence. He sent it off to another music library. Not only did he hear back from them, he heard back from the president two days later who said, this is the top 1% of anything we get sent in, blah, 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 blah. Is this album spoken for? One email, one tweak right. changed, changed his whole, uh, uh, I, I'm not going to say future because he has a great job. Right, but I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. Approach in now getting his music out to licensing opportunities, which is now getting his music license and getting it heard by all these other people aside from his guitar. So now company. when Carrie takes off to have her baby, she can yes. spend as much time off as she wants. He's not able to go tour live and make that income, but you've created an additional income stream. Exactly. And by working and learning from a professional, you have just saved him thousands of hours and tons of frustration. Because a lot of times what's funny about this is the music hasn't changed it's the approach. The approach. But, but even more important, again, you know, coming from just being a little older now and being less about me, uh, here's a guy who's got a wife and a kid and another kid on the way. Right. That's more important, being able to have, to have that, be able to, uh, that other stream of income now coming in to, to support that. 
Wow. That, that's more fulfilling than, than, you know, than getting to play on someone's record, honestly, for me. Sure. Um, let, then that comes back to really knowing the why and all that is more philosophical about the Simon Sinek book, but, but that's the core of why I started the master music licensing website. I wrote the book and, and, and also have, have a course that's available. You know, the, the book is a great starter, right. um, but the course is, I mean, the, the course I didn't, I, the course is, is basically as if you were sitting with me, you know, and I was going through it step by step. Well, and that's, that's where you and I connect. And a lot of it is because of your heart. People know the folks that I associate with. People understand that I am going to do everything I can in my power to help their music get heard. And it's also by introducing them to the experts. I cannot be the expert on everything. I don't want to be the expert on everything. But because of the way that I run my business and I carry myself, I get to attract people like yourself. You know, it's like Michael will come over to the office and I'll be sharing stuff with him in the digital marketing space and the webinar space and the product creation space. We both learned from the same person and that's a collaboration. You know, it's like here's another opportunity for people to meet one of the good guys and to be able to see for themselves what it is that you offer. Well, this will now go down as uh, at this point our my longest podcast, but <laughs> I also think it's going to go down as one of the most valuable podcasts. Uh, there will be show notes available for you. Go to rickbarker.com forward slash podcast, and you'll get all the show notes from this, all the different things that Michael mentioned, access to his book, uh, we'll go ahead and get links to the Simon Sinek TED Talk. We'll get links to his book. Uh, Eloise and Vanessa, the gals that do the show notes for me, are going to have a field day with this one. Uh, we'll go ahead and make sure that all that stuff's taken care of. And I just I appreciate you taking your time to share with us. I, I know how busy you are. And this is just one of those things where I sent him a text and I said, hey, I know it's you know after 8 o'clock at night on a Thursday night, you know, can I get you on my podcast? And you so graciously agreed. So thank you for that. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, you can go back and hear past episodes. You know, a lot of the terms that are being tossed around playlists go to episode 50. Uh, Michael and I talk about playlists. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the music industry. And like I told you, if it's something that can change your life, and your world, I'm going to do my best to bring it to you. So, Michael, thank you once again. I so appreciate you. And I can't wait to uh, start telling everybody about the new course. Uh, at, depending on when you're hearing this, that new course might already be out. So go to mastermusiclicensing.com to see for yourself and make sure you stop by there and grab a free copy of the book. What a generous offer, my friend. I thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. I had a great time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com, take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help make sure that you are on the right track. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there.